Hello again, friends. It is great to be with you again today for another episode of the In Focus podcast, where we're taking a fresh look at the Bible and some big Christian ideas and how they bring the world into focus, empowering us to live a more eternal kind of life within it. Today, I thought we would begin uh, by reflecting back on a pattern that I've recognized in my own life. Uh, and this pattern typically begins uh, with some dissonance in reading through the Bible and discovering that there are places in my heart or mind that don't quite line up with what the Bible is saying, or at least what I've understood it to be saying at that point. Uh, so, so that dissonance often will give way to periods of prayer and ref- reflection and contemplation. Uh, and then hopefully, by the grace of God, that contemplation gives way to renewal in both heart and mind. And one of the examples of that, which we are going to look at today, comes to us from Romans chapter 8 and verse 20, where Paul notes that creation was subjected to futility. Uh, This verse really bothered me, uh, partially because I love this passage so much, and it's the capstone of an amazing buildup from Romans chapters 5 through 8, which has been extremely formative in my life. Uh, Here's the grand finale of the passage, which comes to us uh, from the second half of Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 16, and I'm going to read it for us so we get to hear the verse in context, and also because it's awesome. Uh, So here we go, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved." And now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified." 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, and who would be to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And who should separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword, or danger? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. So right in the middle of this gripping passage and this climax to the previous chapters, creation was subjected to futility. Whose futility? And what futility? And how? And what part of the story is Paul referencing and interpreting here as futility? But for the longest time, I couldn't get this into focus, this phrase, this idea, and it just created dissonance in my heart and in my mind, and it became like a rock in my shoe that I couldn't get out and that just wouldn't go away. So in light of the big story of God and creation and humanity, what does it mean that creation has been subjected to futility? So in grappling with this, uh, one day reading, actually a few months ago, um, it came to my attention in the reading that Paul actually uses this same reference, another reference to futility back in the first chapter of Romans, again, as he's telling a story to bring into focus the world and a lot of what is taking place in the world. So let's go back to Romans chapter one, take a look at the story Paul is telling there and see if that helps start to bring things into light. So let's begin this passage with verse 18. And again, I'm going to read a little bit, uh, mostly because it's awesome and also because it helps create a context for the conversation. And Paul, of course, is bringing this issue into focus for us. So beginning with Romans chapter 1, verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain enough to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and all sorts of creeping things. And then uh, Paul continues to go into some of the implications of that trade-off, which... 
uh, we will leave for another day. But what's noticeable is that, first of all, Feudal makes another appearance as Paul is stepping back to tell the story of the world and God in it and people within it. And in this story, once again, Paul creates a setting uh, that dates all the way back to creation. Notice that he said in uh, chapter 1, verse 20, ever since the creation of the world. So again, the context is one of creation. Um, And then obviously what Paul is communicating fairly directly is that this futility is connected with rebellion and turning away from God and his intentions for creation. So, with that in mind, and taking our cues from within the passages, uh, let's think back to Genesis chapter 1 and uh, the accounts of creation. So, when we go all the way back there, God creates everything. And the capstone of creation is humanity, which is created in God's image and likeness. And we were created to know God and to make him known throughout creation. We were created to govern creation on God's behalf and according to his design and purpose. And we were created to be shaped by and resting in God's blessing and then to be the instrument of God's blessing throughout creation. But of course, people couldn't leave well enough alone and they decided that they would rebel and not content to be like God, they wanted to be God in and of themselves. And with the context in mind of what had just transpired and the ordering of creation that God had brought and placing of people in God's likeness over creation, it seems natural uh, to understand that humanity was wanting to be and do all that they were created to be and do, but in their own strength and wisdom and power and will, rather than doing it cooperatively as governors that were still submitted to the presence and the will and the design of God. And that, it turns out, became the ultimate exercise in futility. Creation soon spiraled into utter disaster And what we have been learning for all the millennia since is that, as it turns out, we cannot truly even be ourselves apart from God. It is simply futile. And the whole world has paid the price of humanity's futility ever since the garden. So if this is true, and this is part of the story then of course, it also has to come back together in Jesus because the point of Jesus is that things are redeemed and renewed. So again, if this uh, purpose of humanity and the futility is a problem, and uh, Paul seems to say it is, and that seems to ring true with the original story, then it, get, it has to come together in Jesus. So, so what do we see there? Uh, First, we see that Jesus submits himself to God and humbles himself to step into the story as a human being in order to represent and to redeem humanity. This comes from multiple scriptures and from the story itself. I'm also remembering the specific account in Philippians chapter 2. But Jesus submitted to God and stepped into the story humbly in order to become part of it. And as the Son of Man... He walked in perfect step with God and was filled with the Spirit of God. 
So in terms of the original human calling to govern creation, what do we see more specifically in the life of Jesus? And this is where it actually gets uh, pretty exciting to compare Jesus's own experience and life and example versus the futility that the rest of humanity has been suffering under. So whereas humanity had been overcome by evil, Jesus reigns over it and brings order and freedom. And we see this happening in multiple instances where people come to Jesus under the grip of evil, uh, whether that would be direct demonic possession or whatever word you want to put to it. The clear testimony of Scripture is that as Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom, part of the way that kingdom is manifest is that he has dominion and brings order over evil. And whereas humanity has been overcome by disease and sickness and disorder, even in the human body, Jesus reigns and brings order there and restores health to people. Again, in many of the same stories as uh, previously mentioned, Uh, we have accounts of Jesus calming storms and bringing peace to tumultuous seas that threaten to take the lives of those upon it. We have accounts of Jesus even walking upon water. Uh, Most importantly, Jesus overcame even death. So all told, Jesus, in perfect unity with the Father and in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, exhibits governance over creation that, according to the original creation account, all of humanity was created for. So we should rightly imagine that when the day comes and Jesus returns and the fullness of his reign is manifest and over creation, all of his people will step into his lordship and then imagine what creation will be like at that point, having been renewed, and then with every person under Christ living his kind of life and wielding that same kind of influence and order over even creation itself. That is a pretty remarkable picture that I hope is emerging in your beautiful imagination. So now, with the world in a little bit better focus and this idea that for the meantime, All of creation has been subjected to the futility of humanity trying to be and do what we were created to be and do apart from God and in rebellion to Him. What might we do and how do we need to rethink things in order to bring our own lives and this world into better focus? So individually, we, most of us at least, have very limited influence over creation. Uh, But we do have limited little kingdoms over which we do exhibit a great deal of influence. And that's going to extend to a very large extent over our bodies, over the time that we've been given, over our minds, over our finances and resources, over our attitudes and our words and relationships. And we need to think about these um, as appropriately being governed according to God's design. Now, that's a decision uh, we each have to make. And 
that decision has to do uh, to a large extent with what story we perceive ourselves to be a part of. Are we Americans pursuing the American dream or are we people living within God's story, looking to align ourselves with what God is doing and to submit ourselves to it? So to what end will we leverage our lives? And uh, will we try to do things as if we are gods unto ourselves the way Adam and Eve did all the way back in the beginning? Or will we submit our lives to Jesus and his example of submitting to God and God's design and God's will and God's purposes? And then if we do, um, it will still be a futile effort to do that in our own intentions and willpower and wisdom, unless we learn to walk our very real, very ordinary, very daily lives in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Because we were not created to manage this life on our own and be dependent on our own strength and our own capacities. It's just not how we were created. Even under the best of intentions, it's not going to work out. So this is how we need to be thinking about things and bringing our lives into focus in the context of the story in which we're living. We want to understand that we can either live futile lives on our own and in rebellion to God's purposes, or we can align ourselves um, to live lives of value and significance in the presence and power of God. So second, then, how will we actually respond in order to do, to do this and in order to live a more eternal kind of life before God here and now? That begins by learning to live in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that begins as we look to Jesus and the practical details of his human life. And we then see that he had very developed practices of prayer of engaging scripture, of silence and solitude, of fellowship, of worship, of serving others, etc., etc., etc. And if we want to live the kind of life Jesus was living when he was on the spot, we also need to submit to the kind of life Jesus was living when he was not on the spot in the mundane details of each day. So we need to submit to the lifestyle Jesus shows us um, by which he navigated a life in the spirit as a person. We don't have to create a way. We don't have to make something up. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we do need to look to the example Jesus had set for us. Again, in many of the details, we might be tempted to overlook as we read his story in the gospels. And then having seen it, we need to embrace it. And with that in place, we then need to simply follow through with the, no doubt, millions of little decisions as we're walking in the presence and the power of the Spirit, and as we are tuned in and present and attentive, uh, then we can discern the steps of our lives. We can discern obedience along the way, again, just like Jesus did, and then, uh, by the grace of God, progressively bring the entirety of our little kingdoms and our little lives under the influence and design and sovereignty of God. Even with all that in mind, no doubt, uh, obviously, we will still find ourselves living amidst a world that has largely gone awry from God's 
intentions and purposes. Uh, We are still living in the effects of rebellions and futility, but we can genuinely become a new kind of people living a new kind of life in the midst of this present world. And in doing so, we begin to live a more eternal kind of life here and now, just as Jesus promised and just as Jesus invites us. Because one day, all will be renewed under the Lordship of Jesus, and that kind of life will be the only thing that we'll know forever and ever. This is what Jesus offers, and this is what we can begin to live into when we grasp his invitation and the world comes into focus as it truly is. No longer futile and fruitless, but living in God's presence and power and for his glory. And there you have it. Some clarity on a verse, uh, maybe hopefully by the grace of God, pulling that little rock out of the shoe so that when we go back to Romans chapter 8, the story flows, it resonates, and it brings things into focus. If this episode or other episodes have helped bring the world into a little better focus, I hope you'll take a second to give the show a good rating and review that actually helps other people to find it. And you can also share it directly with your friends on social media. If you have some thoughts about what you'd like to hear about or questions on a a particular passage or a big idea that's on your mind that might help bring the world into better focus, please email me using the address included in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. Until next time then, thanks for being a friend of the show and for tuning in to the In Focus podcast. And may God continue bringing your world into clearer focus and may you live an increasingly eternal kind of life before him.